What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Getting bored, having the opportunity to actually get bored promotes creativity also. If we don't have the time or the space in our day to just have some downtime to recover, then we're not living our full potential, A, by regenerating and rejuvenating and re-energizing, but also giving space and opportunity for, for spontaneity and something else to occur, or maybe a thought or idea, epiphanies, some reflection, journaling, whatever it is for you to experience. Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora, and I have with me today Naz Beheshti, who is the author of a book called Pause, Breathe, Choose, a leadership book which empowers readers to become the CEO of their well-being. And she is also the founder of Prana Naz, which is a corporate wellness solutions company. Hi, Naz. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Great to have you on the show. And I think we've got a lot to talk about. I'd love to sort of take a few steps back or a few several steps back uh, into your first job, your very first job where you worked for Steve Jobs, who you said set you on the trajectory to your current wellness-focused career. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So Steve Jobs was, as you mentioned, my first boss. He was also my mentor, and he showed me up close and personally how his well-being drove his success. So if there's one thing that I walked away from that's been a like the most impactful lesson professionally and personally is that well-being drives success. And he not only made wise business choices, but he made wise lifestyle choices. At the time when I was working for him, I was young and naive, just out of college, 21 years old. I didn't connect the dots, but it wasn't until I had more experiences working for a tech startup and then Yahoo and AstraZeneca, where I continued in the pressure cooker of Silicon Valley that 
I was really able to connect the dots that in order to do well, you must be well. And Steve was leading by example. And in fact, I remember at the time working for him, I discovered that my version of healthy was Steve's version of garbage, quite literally. One day I thought I would surprise him with an oatmeal raisin cookie as a healthy option for dessert. And later that day, I noticed it in his garbage. That was the first red flag that I actually wasn't that healthy after all. And since then, I've come a long way on my own wellness journey and truly adopting a holistic approach to well-being and learning how to manage stress, how to build resilience and really take a holistic approach to total well-being. So it's not only about the foods you eat or exercising every day, but it's also about you know, how you can, you know, live a fulfilling life, have healthy relationships, uh, have a mindfulness practice, you know, find whatever gives you inner peace, confidence, and joy. Wow, Naz, there is so much to unpack there. And I'm just intrigued by what you've brought up already. Um, Have a zillion questions, but back to sort of Steve Jobs, you know, There are so many stories that we hear about him. He was a workaholic and he was perhaps difficult to work with, you know, really tough to work with and I would imagine to work for. So when you say that some of this is a misconception, tell us why. It absolutely was, is a misconception because Yes, he worked hard and a lot, but he was also, he was very passionate about what he did and he was very creative, innovative, an iconic visionary of our time. And he also, in order to do that and be the iconic visionary, he took care of himself. He prioritized his personal well-being, his relationships with his family, his physical health, his mental, emotional. He would meditate every day. He did all the things that, you know, a healthy lifestyle would promote in terms of living your best life and having a successful personal and professional life and lifestyle. And so he couldn't just be a workaholic and nothing else. Yes, he loved his work and was passionate. Most visionaries and, you know, founders and people who create their love and bring their passion to fruition with a company or a product or whatever it is, can appear to be a workaholic from the outside, but it's really their playtime. It's their fun. It's their passion, Mm -hmm. but he really had it all. He had a good balance of it all. And that's why my approach also is very holistic in nature. And it's really having all of those aspects, not just one aspect, but all pieces of the pie fully integrated and fully engaged. So you show up as your best self in all those areas of your life. Interesting what you say. And Naz, you know, I teach Ayurvedic workshops for well-being, for leadership to companies and so forth. And I often use Steve Jobs as an example, surprise, surprise, pointing very much to the fact that he exhibits qualities of the Vata and the Pitta Dosha, which in Ayurveda, well, let's say in English, plain English, you know, really point to things like creativity and that focus, passion that you mentioned. And often when we look at leaders and people, you know, who exhibit these qualities, they choose to do this rather than anything else. And 
common sort of belief tells us, oh, no, you must have hobbies and develop other things to do. But you say, well, maybe not or that's not necessarily the case. Is is that right? Right. Because if you're only siloed in one area, how do you bring creativity to the table in one area if you're only stuck in this one area? Like you're just behind closed doors in your office, for example, in, you know, in the four walls that you're working and you're not interacting, connecting, communicating, playing, exploring, traveling, reading, like all the other things that could bring some of your ideas and creativity, innovation to what your passion is at work. So it is vital to have that space to bring that energy and creativity to that passion. If not, you start in a way getting stagnant, stale, complacent, and it just becomes repetitive. So I think it's really important for creativity to do those other things and make time. Even just like exercising, getting your body moving, being mindful, sitting in silence, you know, focusing on your breath, for example. Those are things very simple, but if you just disregard them and don't move your body or don't, you know, take care of your mind. How do you keep showing up to just do your work every single day without contributing or rebooting your system, your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit? So moving your body, is this something that is specific to a type of person or to everyone? I'd love to ask you if it's your meditation. I know you've got something called RPM squared, which is perhaps related to moving your body, if I understand correctly. Yes, it's every morning. So it stands for rise, pee, meditate, move. So the two, <laughs> two M's are my biggest tools and strategies to show up every day as my best self. And the meditations for my mind and to get centered, focused, peace, uh, at peace and grounded And the movement is really to let go of all that stagnant energy that could be there or just to, you know, it feels very good to get the endorphins moving and just get your body moving. I need the stillness. I need the movement. And so for me, that's a great formula for some people, depending on, you know, who they are. And I'd love to know your perspective with your background and expertise. I know there's also some people with certain that blood type assessment that based on your blood type, you should or shouldn't move as much, or there are certain exercises that are better for your well-being based on your blood type if you go that route. But I think movement for everyone should be like part of a, you know, regular routine. Now, what type of movement depends on the person, right? Because some people like you know, hardcore cardiovascular, some people like more low impact or, you know, depending on the person. So I I wouldn't say that one type of exercise or movement is the right thing for everyone. I think that is unique to each person. I would agree with you 100%, Naz. And um, movement is a really interesting word in the Ayurvedic sense. There's movement in the body, there's movement in the mind. There are certain kinds of people who are more movement oriented, both mind and body. And Steve Jobs would actually be the perfect example, right? Always creating any kind of creator, any kind of artist, any kind of innovator. And so it's interesting when you tell us that meditation was very much part of his daily practice or what he does to sort of calm that, if you will, or counter that or Mm -hmm. balance Mm -hmm. that. 
There are others of the water earth element, the kapha type that we call in Ayurveda, who tend to be, the tendency is to be more stable and couch potato. Doesn't mean they're always couch potato, but they're quite happy to be couch mm-hmm. potato and they really need to move. So I'm very much mm-hmm. with you on this and I love the whole RPM squared. <laughs> um, I think we should all put that into practice. <laughs> Now, you said something interesting earlier. You said that your definition of healthy was Steve Jobs' definition of garbage. And I would love to ask you about this because tell me who doesn't think of oatmeal as healthy. (laughs) Absolutely. That was my thoughts. Exactly. However, when you're at a different level or different part of the spectrum of healthy and oatmeal raisin cookie can seem to have way too much sugar and that would bog his mind down and you know probably impact his clarity right the sugar can create brain fog for example so he didn't even take a bite out of it he just literally threw it a whole really nice cookie that i got from whole foods in the garbage So that's when I realized later when I became more healthy that, okay, you know, maybe he thought there was too much sugar in it, but he kept his meals very light so that he wouldn't get bogged down. I mean, I think we can all relate that if we eat a very heavy meal, we get into a food coma and all we want to do is take a nap. How are we going to get back to work and feel energized and thinking clearly when we eat you know, heavy meals or too much sugar. I mean, I get, I have a brain fog when I eat too much uh, ice cream. That's my vice. I love ice cream. And if I eat too much, I can't think clearly. Or the next morning, I actually, could you not wake up with a sugar hangover? I feel like I've drank alcohol and I feel hung over from my ice cream <laughs> the night before. So I can understand why he ate in a certain way to kind of sustain his energy and creativity. Yes, you wonder, you know, how they do it in France and Europe and all these places that we hear about with long lunches and, you know, how it is that everybody's not in a food coma by the end of the afternoon or the beginning of the afternoon, perhaps. I would love to ask you more about choosing something to do that you love every day, which I know is one of the philosophies that you espouse. And did this also come from Steve Jobs? What did he do that he loved to do every day? What did you learn from him? What do you do? And how do you advise your clients to discover what it is that they love to do every day? Well, he loved to play in Johnny Ive's office with the prototypes of the products. He was just a kid at heart playing with all the Apple products. Whenever I wanted to get a hold of him or he would disappear, I knew where he was. It was in Johnny Ive's lab. So He loved to play and I've incorporated play, what I call play. I mean, he didn't use those words, but he was like a child in a candy store, really happy, giddy and excited to play with the different prototypes. So I incorporated play and recovery. That's actually one of the chapters in my book as part of my method for showing up as your best self in having something that, first of all, recovery could mean play and recovery could mean anything that, you know, makes you feel very playful, joyful, lose track of time, you know, something that makes you just be really in the present moment and makes you happy. And you forget to even take pictures or scroll social media while you're doing this because you're just so in the moment and happy. 
And that also promotes creativity when you're playing. I mean, we all were born to play. Kids play. They were born to play. As we get older, we stop playing. Why? Like we need to bring that playful element back into our life for just pure fun and for creativity, in my opinion. And the recovery aspect doesn't necessarily mean getting your eight hours of sleep, but also recover in other ways, like, you know, through meditation or just having some downtime or actually getting bored. You know, how often do we have enough space in our day to just get bored? Steve would always say he didn't like to schedule his kids back to back in in events and, and activities because getting bored, having the opportunity to actually get bored promotes creativity also. Right. So if we don't have the time or the space in our day to just have some downtime to recover, then we're not living our full potential a by regenerating and rejuvenating and re-energizing, but also giving space and opportunity for, for spontaneity and something else to occur, or maybe a thought or idea, epiphany, some reflection, journaling, whatever it is for you, for you to experience, right? So play and recovery time are very important. And the way that I would suggest your listeners is to think of something that makes them happy that maybe they've done and they just have not done it in you know, a long time because they don't have the time, I would say start there. Or maybe it's something that they haven't done in the past and it's something new, like learning a new language or traveling somewhere new or whatever it is, starting a new exercise program, whatever it is that's fun for them, that they would, you know, bring joy and embody positive feelings and emotions. Just start and try something small, see how good you feel, and then make it a standing whatever time or regular practice within your week so that it's in your calendar, like put it as a, as important as a standing meeting in your calendar so that you can actually take advantage of it and do it regularly, not just, you know, once in a blue moon, because consistency is key. You want to consistently play and recover and have fun. I'm so glad you mentioned this, Naz. I mean, this is taking me back to my years in India growing up as a child where my mother would tell me, only bored people are bored, and that's what leads to creativity. And I'm <laughs> seeing so many common threads here. There's a book out there called Good Sheep, and it talks about, you know, how so many of our kids today are overscheduled, like you say, back to back with this and that and the other, where there is no time left for them to be bored. You know, the idea being if they're busy, they'll be fine. But I wonder if in fact this kind of overpacked schedule does indeed contribute to the vast to the variety of mental health issues we have today what are your thoughts i definitely think it does contribute to it because being overpacked with their schedule especially at a young age creates a lot of pressure and stress you know, as much as it could be fun going from, you know, soccer practice to this birthday, to this event, to whatever it is, um, this class or this language course or whatever it is that you're doing, if it's just constantly on the go, when does that kid have time to actually relax, to play, to have fun, to just, just disconnect? You know what I mean? Like if you are always, connection is great, right? But sometimes 
in order to connect, you must disconnect from the outside to connect with yourself. Because if you're always putting your energy and efforts into the external world, to others, to events, to things that you're always doing externally, when do you have that time and peace to actually connect with yourself? And part of that being bored or like having that time on your own is an opportunity to reconnect with yourself. That's why I love meditation so much Mm -hmm. because I'm reconnecting with my true self, with my higher self and really listening to my intuition and my desires. But if I was constantly like how kids are these days going back to back from thing to, you know, event to event, activity to activity, I wouldn't have time to sit quietly with myself. And I think it's so important that these rituals or patterns, whatever you want to call them, are established at a younger age, because if not, then um, they don't become intrinsic as you grow older. So I'd love to ask, for a successful CEO, in your opinion, is this a CEO who is naturally attuned to play and recover, or does that have to be taught? It depends on the person. I mean, some people, it is part of their, you know, people who the CEOs I work with who already have a mindfulness practice, for example, they are already understanding and experiencing the benefits, right? The people who say, oh, I just, I can't meditate. I don't know how to. And this is just an example for meditation. There's other ways to do this. But just in this example, when I'm working with clients, They say, I don't know, I can't meditate because I think too much, for example. Well, part of the process of meditation is being aware of your thoughts. And just because you think too much doesn't mean you're not meditating, right? So it's just a misunderstanding or communication that that's how you're supposed to meditate, that there's just a wrong assumption and perception there. But it's more about people, you know, being ready, willing, and able to go there. Some people are not open to it. Some people are and already experiencing it, right? So when people come to me, usually they are open for change, right? You you hire a coach because you want to make a change. You want to have greater impact, for example. So it just really depends on the person and how open they are, how willing they are, how ready they are. And what kind of people come to you? I mean, I know it's working people or individuals, but Do you do individual programs or corporate programs? Tell us a little bit about how Pranana's works. I work with leaders, executives, C-level and senior leadership one-on-one coaching them. And it's very a holistic approach to coaching. So it's really about personal and professional development and growth. And I also work with people like their teams as a whole, like team coaching, I do workshops for companies, speaking engagements. My most popular and impactful has been actually become the CEO of your well-being workshop. That is part of some of the chapters in my book where it's about managing stress and building resilience. And that is a workshop I do for a lot of corporations. I also create with my team, my company has corporate wellness programs that are tailored to organizations needs and goals for employee well-being. So it's it's many different things that we do, but typically people come to me directly personally for executive coaching and then I do the workshops and then my company and team does the employee well-being bigger corporate wellness programs if that's what they need and want. 
And I have to ask you, Naz, because, you know, everybody is always so curious. In your opinion, can you tell us, how was it that Steve Jobs, as an individual, as such a successful leader and creator, how was it that he was so attuned to his own personal well-being? Honestly, I think it was his experience going to India and starting his mindfulness, his meditation practice. I think that really was life-changing for him as it were for me. I also had a very life-changing experience going to India alone and stayed at an ashram for six weeks and came back and quit my corporate job and started Prananas. So I think it was really impactful for him. And once you become a meditator, it's like, you can't go back. You learn so much about yourself and it's life-changing. I mean, it really, it literally changed my life. I can only imagine it changed his and that's how you become attuned. You know, your intuition, creativity, your peace, energy, everything is enhanced through meditation. Of course, and I will sound biased because I am. As an Indian, I love hearing that. (laughs) (laughs) And as an Ayurveda clinician. (laughs) So thanks to Steve and thanks to Naz for bringing all of that wonderful knowledge to the world. I just so support it and endorse it. The one thing, you know, this show, it's called The True Fiction Project. And the premise really is to explore the journey from nonfiction to fiction. So what I will be doing is taking this interview and giving it to one of our fiction writers who will listen to it and come up with a fiction piece based on it. So my closing question to you is, if you were to give the writer a writing prompt, what would it be? Oh, that is a very good question. And (laughs) wow, there's so many ways I could answer that. I think I would set the writer on, you know, finding having a character, whoever they choose to build as someone who found their passion and purpose in an unexpected way. Although we didn't talk about how my job at Steve Jobs was really an accident, but I think just focusing around the creativity and passion and purpose would be something that would be aligned with this interview and kind of my work was that, and that Steve really helped me think outside of the box and allowed me to follow my intuition, gave me the courage to follow my intuition and passion to create Prananat. So it's like one experience can, that you think you don't want or need can lead you to your life's purpose. So something around the creativity, life's purpose type of thing is what I would focus on. Super. That's what we will give to the writers. But since you mentioned it, and we didn't ask that, I have to ask you now before we close. You said that that you found that job as a complete accident. (laughs) We probably should have started with this question, but... (laughs) Yes, it it was a complete accident. That was not my intention to get out of college with a psychology degree and become an executive assistant. And by chance, I found myself across the table in Steve Jobs' boardroom being interviewed by him and getting hired on the spot. And I actually wanted to say no, but when he hired me on the spot, I didn't think I'm going to get the job. So I just said yes to the interview, just to hone in on my interview skills and go in for the experience without any expectation, no attachment tied to it. But I ended up getting the job and it was really to my surprise that he offered me the job on the spot in person. And so I said, yes, 
even though that was not my intention and I wanted to say no. So it was an accident to even find myself in that position. But since he offered it, I had to say yes, because it was Steve Jobs. And I just thought, let me do this for a short term. It was like a little over a year and, and just see how it goes. And it really opened up so many doors and led me to my passion and purpose. And he ended up being my role model and greatest mentor. And that's how Prananas came about was from my experience working with him. That's where it started. And then all the other jobs after that contributed to that like wellness gap that I was seeing the, the, the stressors and not having support in companies to support their employees with managing their stress and, you know, coaching them. For example, there was no corporate wellness programs or employee well-being programs at that time. When I started Prana Nas, it was a nascent industry over 10 years ago, but Steve helped me think creatively outside of the box and connect the dots. I mean, my book starts with a quote from him about connecting the dots. And that's really what I did. He was highly influential and impactful in my life's passion and purpose and leading me there. Fantastic. And what would you say, if I could ask you, was your one big takeaway from all of that? The biggest biggest takeaway Mm -hmm. is that well-being drives success. Well-being drives success. I think that's the perfect title for your next book. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Naz. It's been a pleasure having you on the True Fiction Project. I look forward to discovering more about what you do, what you offer, other books you write, and whatever you have up your sleeve. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure speaking with you and being on your show. Thank you. That was Naz Beheshti. She is the CEO and founder of Prana Naz, a corporate wellness solutions company, and also the author of Pause, Breathe, Choose, a leadership book that empowers readers to become the CEO of their well-being. And I am your host, Renita Hura. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. My cup is not overflowing, nor is it boiling. Even though I am in a pressure cooker, my cup is not too hot, nor too cold. Steam billows off of it like a waterfall. It is beautiful, serene, and constantly in motion, just like me. Inside my cup, I sit cross-legged, upright and comfortable, I quiet my mind before pulling on the jogging pants, the running shoes. The pavement stretches out in front of me, winding and peaceful. I feel the dew on my skin, which transitions to droplets in the shower, iced lemon water sliding down my throat. Now, clean, calm, and hydrated, I eat to nourish my body. The ingredients are fresh and natural. I feel supported by the earth, by this meal, by my partner and child as they pour in around me and the day comes to life. We eat together before diving into our own worlds. This time is important, never too long and never too short. 
Every day I savor it. The love is important. My daughter's drawing, important. I hang it on the fridge before driving to work, focused and alert throughout the experience. At work, there are handshakes, smiles and connections, meetings and problems. I think freely in my office and speak freely with my colleagues. Then there are solutions. Here, solutions are celebrated. As part of the celebration, someone offers me an oatmeal raisin cookie. I accept it with a smile, then deposit it into the waste bin. In this life, the no's are just as important as the yeses. I say no to sugar because it slows me down, interrupts the flow. Some say life without sugar is not sweet, but in reality, the rare indulgences are even sweeter. A weekend ice cream cone on the beach with my daughter is sweeter than all the oatmeal raisin cookies in the world, and worth the tummy ache in the morning. I remember being young and addicted to sugar, stomach aches, stress, television, sex, easy pleasures, and their hidden consequences as far as the eye could see. I do not think unkindly of this person. They were simply a seedling. Oh, how I have grown. I jot some of my thoughts down for safekeeping in my journal and appreciate this moment of solace and reflection. Then I go to a celebration of my own. The problems are solved and the system is ready. Its bells and whistles remind me of model trains, of rubber shoes on plastic dolls. I am a kid in a candy store. This is why I do what I do. I'd love to say it's for my daughter but we have to do some things for ourselves. Once all the fires are extinguished and the system is up and running, I leave the building. To some people, the workplace is a prison, but to me, it is a sanctuary, a controlled environment where mistakes only get you closer to the right answer. On the drive home, I listen to music. The notes lift my spirit and carry me to the next part of my day. My ears are awake so I can hear stories from outside of myself and lend my attention to the people I love most. I cannot wait to be an audience member to the dramas of my daughter's day, to hear the parts of my partner's life that I'm not privileged to see. But what I look forward to most is the moment, the moment when all the dishes are washed and my daughter is put to bed, when I look at my love and ask, what shall we do now? The abyss of an evening will stretch before us as time to fill. It will become a sandbox to play, a bed to make love in, a blank page to fill with our story. When I was younger, this chasm used to scare me. Now, long swaths of aimlessness and attention mean freedom and magic and play. I remember how my mother used to say, only boring people get bored. I am not bored, and this life is the furthest thing from boring. Back in the pressure cooker, at the top of my cup, the steam curls into children on a swing set, a boogie board sliding into shore, crayons leaving their color behind on the page. It sounds like a purring cat, and it tastes like an Earl Grey tea with milk and honey, the pink wine and oysters on my honeymoon. The water in my cup is warm and still. It feels like bath water, and sometimes I add bubbles. Every day, people ask me how I take a bath in a pressure cooker, how I float and glide through a life that can feel so hard. 
I don't tell them that I start every morning cross-legged and every night alone in my bathtub. I simply tell them that in order to do well, you must be well, that well-being drives success. These sounds like truisms, but they are the truth. Every night, the very last thing I do before I close my eyes and let sleep take me is say a prayer to the world. I wish everyone in it well, including you. My cup is full. Now find a way to fill your own. Life is a pressure cooker, and it doesn't get easier. We get better. Here at the True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to the True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.